If you'll turn in your Bibles today to Luke 15, Luke chapter 15, and um, I'm actually going to be reading quite a bit, but this, is, this has been called the greatest short story ever written, just as a, just as a piece of literature, it's magnificent. But it's a story that Jesus told that is one of his best known parables, but I think it's worth a, a full reading again, and I want you to let it speak to you. Don't just hear it with your ears, but hear it with your heart today. Luke 15, starting in verse 11, then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father's house. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us Eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's come because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this your son of yours came, who has devoured his livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I want to speak to you today on the subject, Daddy's Home. Daddy's Home. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we're asking you to touch us today, speak to us let the Holy Ghost of God be with us in a very real and mighty way 
In the precious name of your son Jesus, amen, amen, and amen. Give the Lord one more hand for his word. Amen. Yesterday, my son, Cameron, who's back in the sound booth, graduated high school. Matt Carver asked me today, he said, does it make you feel old? I said, well, seeing as how I'm old enough to have a youngin' about 30 or 31 years old, <laughs> it doesn't seem that old by comparison. But I was reminded as I was sitting there in the field getting a suntan, watching Cameron graduate, I leaned over and told my dad, I said, you know, only just 33 years ago, I was on this same field graduating. Graduated with Patrick Wooten out of this church and Carissa Fox and Linda Wooten, all of those folks out of this church. The day after I graduated, we got up about four in the morning and my parents drove me to Atlanta and I got on a plane and uh, flew after, uh, after an exchange, flew into Wyoming on a youth mission trip. And when we finally got settled in, uh, in out of a day of flying and also several hours in a van, finally got settled in the pastor's home there. There were, I guess, about 10 of us in the, in the team. I looked and they had a lava lamp. Anybody remember what a lava lamp is? They had a lava lamp. Now, no, it was not in the 70s. <laughs> it, was, it was in 1987. So the lava lamp was old. It had been with them for several years. But uh, I've got this habit even today at Dad's house. I don't know why, but I just have to touch things. And usually if I touch them, I knock them over or I drop them. And so uh, anything that's given to me, I have a tendency to, to uh, break, which is one of the reasons that Crystal's very resistant in giving her heart to me. But, uh, but we, uh, uh, I, I looked at that lava lamp and I was not content just to view it. I had to handle it. So I picked up the lava lamp and I broke it. Now, if somebody's in your house and they break something, the polite thing to do is to say, all things happen. It's not that big a deal. It's okay. This pastor's wife did not do that. She said, oh, my goodness, you have broke our lava lamp. We've had that lava lamp for 15 years. There is no other lava lamp like that in the world. It's irreplaceable. My grandmother handed that lava lamp down to me. In fact, my great, great, great granddaddy brought that over on the Mayflower. I mean, she, just, she didn't let me off the hook at all. I just felt so bad. The point is, is that there are some things that when broken can never be repaired or replaced. Isn't that true? There are some things you just go out and buy another one. There are some things that you can put some duct tape on it and it'll be all right. But there are other things, sometimes not of great financial worth, but great sentimental value. There are some things that when broken, they can't be repaired or replaced. The idea of inheritance in the ancient world, and particularly uh, among the people of Israel, they did not think of possessions as just being the possessions of the individual. 
they always thought about how it affected the community. In other words, God had told them that when they go into the promised land and possess that because that promised land was God's gift to them. So they couldn't just sell a piece of land anytime they wanted to to whoever they wanted to. When they went to sell a piece of land, they had to sell it to somebody in their family. And they had to, the closer the kinsmen, the more uh, of a right they had to the land. So if they searched around, if their, if their cousin, you know, their uncle didn't want it, they had to find a second cousin that wanted it. They just kept searching if they wanted to sell something till they found somebody in their family that could redeem it. When they thought in terms of their money, first of all, they realized that they were stewards. Therefore, they had a responsibility to God. So they tithed. They tithed of their finances. They even tithed of their, of their spices and their herbs. But also, they felt the need to use their money wisely in a way that benefited the community. So when a young man got an inheritance, now this young man wouldn't even wait for his daddy to die. He went to him while daddy was still living and saying, give me the portion of goods that belongs to me. But if a young man ever got an inheritance and went and lost that inheritance to a Gentile, and a Gentile is just anybody that was not of the house of Israel. If he lost that inheritance to a Gentile and came back empty-handed, it was a great shame for him. In fact, there was, certain sources tell us that there was a, a ceremony called a, a kazaza. And kazaza, they would take this huge pot, this huge um, pottery uh, vessel, and they would bring the young man in front of the whole village. It's, this, it's not just a family thing. It's in, just in the privacy of the house. This is in front of everybody. And they would break that pot and they would look at him and they would say, you are no longer part of this community. Now, maybe we don't quite get that because we, we, we like to think of ourselves sometimes as long wolves, as independent. But the truth of the matter is, I've got to thinking about it and people still long for community. There, there is more to church than just getting together with each other. It's for the worship of the Lord. But let me say, it is also about the community that we have with each other. That is part of the package. Well, I think of people that don't, don't go to church, don't come to church, where do they get their community? And then I think about, you know, there are some people that have a community with their friends. There's come, some people have a community at the golf club. There's some people have a community with their work friends. There's some people that have a community with drug addicts. They, there are people that do drugs. They don't do them because they like drugs. They do it because they like having a family. You think about people that are brought up in difficult families, abusive families, and they finally work hard and get free of it, and then you find, it, you find them breaking back into that system, and you're like, why, why once you're out of it, why would you go back? Because loneliness is a powerful thing. Loneliness is an incredibly powerful emotion. And so people need community. So it was a very real thing when this young man lost all that he had 
to the Gentiles and he wanted to come back home, he, he would have dreaded and feared them breaking that pot and saying, it's broken. Your relationship with your father is broken. It can't be replaced or repaired. It's broken. Your relationship with your family, shattered. And your relationship with this village, with this town, with this community, it's over. Some things are broken and they cannot be repaired. Some things are broken and they cannot be replaced. Now the father was expected if this wayward son came home who had lost his inheritance to the Gentiles, if he came home, the father was expected to sit stoically in the house, unemotionally in the house, barely even acknowledge the return of his son, giving him the cold shoulder. An expectation wasn't on the mother. The mother, they say, well, you know how mamas are. Mama can go and run and kiss him if she needs to before we expel him, before we excommunicate him. If mama needs to embrace him, that's fine. Usually only servants would run. But that day, they'd say, we understand mama might have to run a little bit to embrace her son before we kick him out. But not daddy. Daddy had to sit like a, a stone statue. It was part of the, um, the picture of being excommunicated. So when this young man asked for his inheritance and went out and wasted it on riotous living, he wasted it. That's what the term prodigal means. Prodigal doesn't mean sinful, although I think he was that. Prodigal doesn't mean lost, although he was certainly that. Prodigal means wasted. The things that he had been given in life, he wasted them. Probably trying to impress people that he didn't know or even maybe like. He wasted it and there came a famine. And rather than go back home and face the shame and embarrassment of being kicked out of the community, he said to himself, I'll go and I'll work, I'll feed pigs if I have to, but I'm going to have to earn back something so that I'll have something to bring in my hand when I come home so I can be accepted. But it didn't work out. And finally, after he looked around in the pig pen and was starving, he said, he came to himself, he said, I will arise and I will go to my father and if if I have to beg my father just to let me be his slave, I know how my daddy treats his servants. His servants are treated good. His servants are well fed. His servants are well provided for. If I can just go and be daddy's servant. And so he comes and he's got the speech already. And he said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But before he could get to the house, before anybody could drag out that big vessel to be broken, before anybody could judge him and say, it's too shattered, it's too broken, it can't be repaired, it can't be replaced, before judgment was handed out by the whole gathered town, that daddy got up from where he was and ran down that road and fell on his son and embraced him and kissed him and said, my son that was dead is alive again. My son that was lost is found. He spared him the judgment. 
He outran the judgment to get to him. And I want you to know that that's what our heavenly father has done for us. We wasted it. We wasted our gifts. We wasted our talents. We wasted our energy. We wasted our breath. We've wasted our lives. And then when we look around and see that even the servants of God live better than we do in the pig pen, we might say, I'll go home, but I've got to have something to bring him. And then we may spend years trying to gather up something to put in his hands so that we come, don't come empty handed. And then we realize we can't earn it. We realize we don't have enough. So we come and we say, Lord, if you'll just forgive me and save me, I'll work for you. I'll do something for you. But before we can come and the hypocrites gather around and turn their noses up at us and tell us how bad we were and tell us how everything we did wrong before they even get a chance the heavenly father runs he outruns judgment and he runs to us and embraces us and for everybody to hear he says this is my son this is my daughter it's not too late it's not been broken it's not been shattered without repair or replacement only the father could do that and the father did that now, I want to go through very quickly four things that the Father showed him and four things that the Father gave him. And as I'm talking about our Heavenly Father, I want to impress on you that these are the four things. I'm not saying it's limited to that, but these are the four things that our earthly fathers give to us and four things that our earthly fathers show us that are so impactful on young men and young women. The first thing that his father showed him was acceptance. Acceptance. He ran to him. It's very important that you hear this. Acceptance of a person is not the condoning of their mistake. Some people think if I, if I reach out and embrace them, I'm automatically putting my approval on what they've done. But acceptance says, even though you may have wasted it all, I still value you. You're not a nobody. You're not a non-entity. I still value you. Now listen, I believe in living right and I believe in preaching against sin and I believe in standing for what God's word says is holy. But if you think it's being a good Christian to turn a cold shoulder on people that are bound by sin, you need to remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and gave himself for us. He did not die for Christians. He died for sinners. He did not die for those that were good. He died for those that were bad. And you and I are saved today because he didn't wait for us to do better before he saved us. He saved us and remade us into his image. There's that beautiful old song, that old invitational hymn, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. My nephew used to sing a beautiful, beautiful song. It was called, He Ran to Me. 
Here's some of the words, Almighty God, the great I am, immovable rock, omnipotent, powerful, awesome Lord, victorious one warrior, uh, commanding king of kings, mighty conqueror, and the only time, the only time I ever saw him run was when he ran to me. The day I left home, I knew I'd broken his heart. I wondered then if things could ever be the same. Then one night I remembered his love for me. And down that dusty road ahead I could see. It was the only time, the only time that I ever saw him run. I was so ashamed all alone and so far away. But now I know that he had been waiting for that day. I saw him run to me. He took me in his arms. He held my head to his chest. Chest, he said, my child's come home again. He lifted my head. He wiped the tears from my eyes. And with forgiveness in his voice, he said, son, don't you know I still love you? He ran to me and said, my son has come home again. It was the only time. And he took me by surprise when God ran. Aren't you glad that God accepted you just as you are. Thank God he loves us too much to leave us like we are, but aren't you glad he accepted us just as we are? And it is so important for earthly fathers to accept their children, to accept their sons and daughters. Now let me tell you that when you have children, then before you have children and when they're babies, you have certain ideas and plans and certain things that you value they might not have the talents that you were hoping they would have. They might not have the desires that you had hoped that they had, but they have been uniquely created by God. And when you raise a child in the way they should go, yes, that means raising them in the ways of the Lord, but it also means acknowledging and recognizing who they've been created to be and raising them in a way that they can fulfill their God-given destiny and talents and ability. You have to embrace them and accept them and then there is the affection now I, I realize that not everybody's as big a hugger as I am but I'm going to tell you all this corona business just been about to kill me I've been wanting to hug somebody I don't have to worry about that I get plenty of hugs at home I take our two dogs gather them to me and hug them But even if you're a very reserved person, let me tell you that everybody needs affection. I've heard people say that shaking hands after this coronavirus, we just need to quit doing that anyway. Let me tell you that the emotional sickness that will follow social distancing may be worse than what the corona was. Now, I'm Listen, we've tried to play by the rules and I've not, I've not done that with a chip on my shoulder. I saw the wisdom in doing that. But if you think for one moment that there's not an emotional price for staying away from people, you just don't understand life. And I'm going to tell you, it may, be, it may still be a few weeks away, but it's coming. You're going to get some hugs from your preacher. Affection. He ran to him. He hugged him. He kissed him. He embraced him. I'm 51 years old. My dad's 78 years old. 
When I go to his house, before I leave his house, I'll still go over to the chair where he's sitting and smooth back his hair and kiss him on the forehead. I ain't too old to kiss my daddy. Affection. Affirmation. To hear these words. My son. He came and said, if I could just be your servant. And before he could get the speech out, he heard these words. Two words that made everything better. Two words that erased the past. Two words that opened the door to the future. Two words that made the present a celebration instead of an embarrassment. My son. He was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. My son, my child. I'm telling you that the world would be a different place if people had received the affirmation that comes most greatly from the Heavenly Father, but is revealed also through the love of an earthly father. John Kilpatrick tells the story of a man that went to his church that was just kind of, I hate to say this, but he just kind of gave off the vibe of being a loser. He was just unkempt. He was just... You know, he was out of, out of shape. He, he just didn't take care of himself. He had never been successful at anything in his life. And um, John Kilpatrick had preached on the, the power of the blessing. And he said the young man had stayed gone for, for several months. And then one day there was a nice looking guy, drove up, had a, had a nice looking little girlfriend with him, drove up in a nice car, was dressed pretty nice, was Every hair in place looked pretty good. He came in the church, went up to the pastor and said, Pastor, you don't recognize me, do you? He said, well, I don't think so. He said, well, and he told him his name. He was that same guy. He said, man, what in the world happened to you? He said, well, I heard what you said about, about the blessing, and I went back home to see my father. I drove to another town to see my father because I needed my father's blessing. He said, when I opened, knocked on the door, the daddy opened the door and said, uh-huh, I knew you'd be back. What is it? You need money? I told you not to ever come around here asking for money. He said, Daddy, I don't need any money. I don't want your money. He said, Daddy, I'm struggling in life and I'm crippled in life. And I need more than anything else. I need your blessing. He said, so Dad, I know you, I know you don't like this kind of thing. So I'm just going to take the chair here and I'm going to just turn my face to the wall and sit in this chair and I'm, I'm just going to wait. And if you'll just come up behind me and just put your hand on my shoulder and just say, son, I love you and I bless you. It'll make all the difference. So he put that chair up there. He said it seemed like forever that his dad was gone. He didn't think he would ever come, but he just sat there. And after... Several moments of waiting. It seemed like an eternity to him. He felt the pressure of his dad's hand on his shoulder from behind. And he said he felt moist droplets dropping on his neck. And he realized it was his dad's tears. He says, Daddy, who didn't even, wasn't even a Christian. 
He said he started blessing him. He said, son, I love you. And I bless you. And he said his daddy who didn't even know the Lord said he started sounding like a Pentecostal preacher. He said, son, <laughs> I love you. And I want good things for you. And I bless you. And God's given you abilities. And God's going to use you. And the man left there and it transformed his life because what he needed was affirmation. I, I have here a birthday card from 2016. And my mom and dad always give me these wonderful birthday cards. And, and mama usually has to go on the back because she's a wise woman and knows how special I am. And the words from mama are precious. And they are tender. And they do feed your soul. But you, you kind of expect that outpouring from mama. But I keep it there because of what my dad said. I keep it open to where he wrote. Because it says, I love you more than words can say. You have brought a lot of joy and comfort to me, your dad. I am very proud of you and your family. I am most proud that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and teaching your family the way of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, that's priceless right there. People need affirmation. Now, maybe, maybe you didn't have a good relationship with your earthly father. Maybe you didn't even know him. But I'm going to tell you, there's a heavenly father that will do to you what he did to his own son at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. God spoke, the father spoke from heaven and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then there is acknowledgement. He said, kill the fatted calf, let's have a party Bring all of his friends together and we're going to celebrate that he's come home. There are people that don't think celebration is that big a deal, that important in life. It is extremely important for you to acknowledge moments and achievements and celebrate them. My son Cameron, so many of you were, are, have already given him gifts and so kind and cards and his grandparents have given him gifts. And we had a party for him yesterday with the, with the family and some of the youth. And we had a great time. And, and Cameron said to me, he said, Daddy, I, I, I feel guilty with everybody making on over me. I, I feel guilty with everybody giving me anything. I said, Cam, we're not celebrating your graduation. We're celebrating you. Did you know that when one prodigal comes back home, the angels in heaven rejoice over one lost sinner? Whenever you celebrate your children, Dad, you acknowledge that they're special, that it's important. That's the four things he showed him. Now, these are the four things he gave him. He put a robe on him. That's his identity. Even today, we identify people by what they wear. Don't we? People that are in the military, people that are in the medical profession, people that are police officers, firemen, we identify them because they wear a uniform. If you want to be a part of a certain social group, 
in high school, you dress the way people in that group dress. You can look at, you can look at somebody for the most part and see what kind of friends they have by what they dress, the way they dress. Somebody can dress preppy, they can dress golf, they can do it any kind of way. I like to wear jeans because I don't have to iron them in the morning. But most of the time, unless it's just really, really hot, most of the time I, I, I do put on a, a sports coat. With a, I don't wear, you know, I don't mow the yards in a suit. I showed up one day, I just put on a sports coat because people kind of expect the preacher to have on a sports coat. So I put on a sports coat. And I also have gained some weight and it hides the gut. One day, the youth were going off to, to a conference, and I showed up that morning, because it was early in the morning, I showed up that morning in sweats. You would have thought I had transgressed. The youth are like, the preacher's in sweats. I can't believe that. Because the way you dress matters. And in that day, the robe, the garment was everything. He gave him his identity. It doesn't matter whether you have a son or a daughter. Daddy, they learn who they are from you. One of the great travesties of our day is parents that put the burden on their children for their children to figure out who they are. You got five-year-olds deciding whether or not they're going to be the gender that they were born to be. And you got idiot parents that say, oh, we just let them decide. Right? It's your responsibility to share your identity. I'm going to tell you, I love all of you. I love all of you. And I cherish all of you. There's some wonderful families here. But I'm just going to have to tell you, the Peavy family is the best family in Coffee County. I'm just going, to, just going to tell you. You say, well, I don't feel that way. And you shouldn't. You should feel like your family is. You ought to feel that way. You ought to be proud of who you are. You ought to be proud of your last name. I told somebody, I'm so glad that my parents, my grandparents left me a name to live up to instead of a name to try to live down. You share your identity with your children and God shares his identity with me. Let me tell you that the greatest title that I have is child of God. Not only that, but he gave him authority. When he gave him that ring, that most likely was a signet ring that was the authority. You know how they'd pour wax on a letter and stamp it? That signet ring represents authority. Many children of God live beneath their privilege because they don't understand the authority that we have in Christ. But he shared with that wayward, prodigal, wasteful, sinful son. He didn't earn it, but he shared with him authority. I wrote a little poem one day about my, about my grandmother. And in that poem, I talked about my mother, how she was raised when she walked through life to square her shoulders back 
and lift her chin high and not walk through life snooty, but walk through life like she was somebody. Cameron and Katie, when they get out, I used to take them to school, they'd get out of the car in the morning, they'd go in the, I'd say, you, you, you straighten that back up. You square those shoulders back. You jut that chin out. You're not better than anybody out there, but there ain't nobody out there any better than you are. You're somebody. You've got to teach your children to have some authority in life, especially as children of God. And then there's stability. He gave him sandals. You know, slaves went barefoot. Sons had shoes. He gave him sandals for stability in life. And then there was availability. He killed the fatted calf. He took from his provision and gave it to his son. My goal in life, my goal in life is to never have to ask my daddy to bail me out as an adult. And thus far, I've never had to do that. But to this day, don't you think I know if some tragic illness eradicated our finances and I needed somebody to help me, don't you know that I know that man would give his last nickel if he had to? Because out of that relationship, there's an availability Listen, when I go to their house, they either drink peach tea or saccharin tea. You know what they keep in the refrigerator? Coca-Cola's. You know why? Because they know I drink. I think I'm the only one that drinks Coca-Cola, but they're always there. You know why? Because I drink them. Sometimes I let Crystal have one. The availability and the availability that we have as earthly fathers to our children. Never too busy to listen to them. Never too busy to pour into them. Never too busy to talk to them. Now, as I close, this love of the Heavenly Father is available to all. But not everybody's going to take advantage of it. That prodigal had to come to himself and say, I'm tired of the pig pen. And say, I'm going to rise and go back to daddy's home. There are people, sadly, that's going to perish in the pig pen. Isn't that a shame? There was a famine going on in this land. He was starving. There are people going to starve to death in the mire and the muck. Because for whatever reason, they're going to dig their heels into the mud and say, I may die with the pigs, but I won't go home. And I think maybe with some of those folks, it's because their earthly home was a disappointment. But listen, don't let the failure of some man in your life deny you the love of your heavenly Father. 
Just because a man's failed you doesn't mean God will fail you. But then there was the other kid, the other son, the older son. The younger son said, I'll rise and I'll go back home. But the younger son was at the house, but he never made himself at home. Isn't that a shame? I'm going to tell you, everybody needs some place in life and some group of people that they can just be their self and not have to wear the mask. That older son grew up in the house and he was pretending to be the dutiful son trying to earn his father's acceptance. And when joy came into the house, it made him mad because he had never known one moment of joy. His service to the Father had always been out of duty instead of out of love. And he didn't make himself at home. I know, I know some wonderful people that live good, clean lives but I would never identify their walk with Christ as a thing of joy. It's always shoulder to the wheel, nose to the grindstone. What I've got to do, what I must do, I've got to toe the line, I've got to walk the line. Instead of saying and hearing the Heavenly Father say to them, Child, all that I have is yours. You want a fatted calf? Go get one. It's always been yours. You could have had a party every day. Life could have been a continual party for you. How sad to be in the house and not be at home. My relationship with my heavenly father is not a cold, static thing. It's a warm, loving relationship. That's what God wants for you. You don't have to stay in the pig pen. You don't have to deny yourself his love in the house. You can come to daddy because daddy's home. Would you stand? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, and every Christian is praying. Oh, Father God, thank you for your love that's demonstrated to us through those good and godly heavenly fathers or earthly fathers that revealed to us the love of our heavenly father. Lord, I'm hoping somebody hears the call today. I'm hoping there's somebody in the pig pen today that say, will say, I'm going to rise and go to my father's house. I'm hoping there's somebody that's been in the house but's never been at home will say, I, I want to know the joy, the intimacy of the love of my heavenly father. I'm praying you would work those miracles today in their lives in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. If you will, keep your heads bowed. If you're here today 
and you are saved and you know it and you're enjoy, enjoying the love of your heavenly Father, lift your hand. Lift your hand and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hand down. No, please, as nobody's looking around, I want to give two opportunities. First of all, if you are in the pig pen of sin, you're away from God, and you know it, I want you to lift your hand and say, Preacher, remember me. I'm not a Christian. I'm not walking with God. How many of you lift your hand and say, That's me. Okay, the second one is this. And this is probably difficult for you to admit. But if your relationship with the Lord has been more like the older brother, that you've just always felt the need to live up to this image you have in your mind, and it has caused you not to have a whole lot of peace and a lot of joy. You love God and you want to do what's right. But you don't have that closeness with the Father. You just try to live up to the rules, live by the house rules, go through the motions. And you want that joy and that love that being close to the Father brings. If that's you, lift your hand. Come on, you don't have to be embarrassed. Lift your hand and say, that's me. All right, we're going to pray for everyone. I want you to, everybody look at me if you will. If you'll just close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to lift your hands, but I'm going to ask you to cup them upward like you're receiving. We've given worship to him today, and as well we should, but there are times we need to receive from him. I'm going to pray God's love over you right now, okay? Just lift up those hands. Father, let the love of God Oh, God, just pour it out on your children right now. Just let them feel the love of the Father. Say, that's my son. That's my daughter. Some of them are going through brokenness right now. But it's not too broken to be repaired. Father, I'm praying that you'd pour out your love. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Now, thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. <coughs> thank you, Father, for sending your only begotten Son to make me your child. Lord, I praise you. I magnify you. I glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.